Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film To All the Boys I've Loved Before. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast as we talk about a whole bunch of other stuff and it's good fun, but it probably helps if you have seen the film as we do discuss the plot in depth and there are spoilers and you know, it's on Netflix, so what are you doing if you haven't seen it? Hello, Paddy. Oh, hello. How are you today? Yeah, I'm all right. It's Tuesday. I'm very glad that you're still willing to do this after the horrors of having to subject yourself to over six and a half hours of Fifty Shades content. (laughs) But here we are. Here we are indeed. We've broken the 69 barrier. It's kind of like breaking the sound barrier, but not as fast. No, no. Um... (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, we've made it. We made it through perhaps our toughest challenge yet. Yeah. Um, emotions what we were didn't strained. mention. Emotions were strained, yeah. What, what we didn't mention that a friend of the podcast, Adam Molesky, tweeted us about was that the script for the first film was um, supposedly given to Patrick Marber, who was supposed to make some changes and tried to get some changes through and E.L. James wouldn't agree to any of them and and made them agree to all sorts of nonsense things that had to stay in from the book. And I think it kind of showed because Patrick Marr was quite a good screenwriter, as well as often playing interesting characters in the early days of Alan Partridge. What else has he done then from a screenwriting perspective? He he done that film Closer, oh. the one where um, Natalie Portman wears the pink wig. Portman, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She plays a, a portly man. <laughs> that is um because because it's um because it's a play isn't it originally closer yes so lot, did he do the play he did well? write the play as well he's written a lot oh. of plays um some of which have been adapted into film but he's he's got a bunch of other screenwriting credits as well oh very nice it's been a, a long time since i've seen closer but i remember it being decent enough see the um the 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 one little factoid I've got about Patrick Marber is that he is one of the directors of Lewis Football Club, which is one of my local clubs. Um, really? Yes, and they um, Lewis uh, got a lot of good press because they introduced equal pay between their men's and women's teams. Wow, um, which is pretty cool. But they're very very low level. Um, they they are not they are not in any of the football games, for instance. Yeah, but still, um, that's fantastic. But it's still, it's still pretty cool. And it's a no, it's a nice little ground, at Lewis. Um, yes, it's nice when people have that kind of local team, isn't it? My um, my granddad and my great uncle go and watch the Bognor Rocks every weekend. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, they wear um, the little scarves and everything. Lewis's ground is called the Dripping Pan, by the way. <laughs> is that like a sponsorship thing? <laughs> no, I don't think or is so. It, no, is it because it's pan shaped? <laughs> Um, I have no idea. Um, I don't know whether it's it's supposedly shaped like a dripping pan or what. But um, wait, but, what? Yeah. Re- rewind. What is a dripping pan? I guess it's a pan that collects dripping from from a roast. Oh, so the stuff that comes off of the roast. Okay, I'm googling dripping pan. But okay, the... yeah, it's like a big 
big oblong tray. Yeah. Which kind of that's what a football pitch, what a football stadium generally looks like, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's no less stupid than calling a baseball stadium cause field or um a guaranteed rate field, which I think <laughs> is which team plays there. A lot of them because of the sponsor the sponsorship have to have it called after that. I think it's where the White Sox play. Oh yeah. right, okay. Guaranteed rate field. <laughs> Guaranteed rate field. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of meat going on with with Lewis though because the the road nearby, um, to to the stadium. So it's just past the stadium. Um, it sort of goes Lewis Football Ground and then uh, a, a Lewis College like the other side, and on the road in between them is Ham Lane. <laughs> so maybe there there's lots of meat going on around yeah. this football club. It's a very, it's a very meaty town, Lewis. It is full of meat. I thought you were going to say there were lots of butchers. <laughs> I'm sure there are lots of butchers. Yeah, um, but yes. Can I just also highlight that the? It's very, very ironic that the the stadium where the Cleveland baseball team plays is called Progressive Field. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is inaccurate. I'm not gonna, you know. But we're not here to talk about racists, are we? No. Unless, no, unless you want to talk about Steve Bannon and how he was headlining the New Yorkers Festival of Ideas or whatever, and now he's not because they realised what a terrible idea it would be. <laughs> it's great. Um, they added him, and then immediately when people started saying, yeah, we're not going to appear at your stupid festival anymore, they're like, oh, wait, hold on. No, we're going to stop this. Yeah. Um, it's brilliant. I mean, you know... It's all about discussing ideas, but when you the one the one thing that beats fascism, and that always been proven to beat fascism, is not allowing them a platform in the first place. So even if you set up a debate in the most in, in like the best of intentions, which let's be honest here, people never do when they debate fascists. It's all about getting controversy, getting clicks, getting likes, getting people mm-hmm. talking about it. It's Especially in, in today's culture, like now yeah, more than ever. It's never done in. It's never done in good intentions. Um, but even if you do it in good intentions, you're not going to win. The only way that you win against fascism is to not allow them a platform in the first place. Because the entire thing about fascism as an ideology is that you um, is that it goes outside of the realm of rationality. Yeah, or um, it's even just like you you don't want to dignify them by allowing them into those kind of spaces. It's the reason we ended up with Brexit is because the BBC dignified xenophobia and racism by allowing Nigel Farage to appear on Question Time every fucking week. If well, they hadn't just, given you, him that platform, people wouldn't even know who he is. Well, you just look at the rise of um, the BNP um, and how well that was tied to the fact that the BBC kept giving Nick Griffin a platform. Um, and equally, the rise of local um, Islamic extremism in the UK was tied to how often they were willing to give the more moderate voices of Islamic extremism a platform as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and when you talk to people who sort of were were aware of the groupings, it's like they they said, "Look, this person has about twenty followers." But then, as soon as the BBC started like showing them off um, and trying to stir up that controversy, suddenly they were getting hundreds of people involved. Because if you allow these people to um, to sort of showcase what they believe it's going to attract people who are desperate and attract people who are tied who who sort of are frustrated and want to look for an easy way out and that's all that fascism provides Mm. whatever form it comes in it it is an escapism 
um, where you can lay your blame on the, the, the doorstep of other people and it doesn't matter if there's no rationality behind it. Yeah, and I just find it hilarious that like the the right people on the right will always come out and say, Oh, this is an attack on free speech, deplatforming such and such person is an attack on free speech or whatever. It's like all all left vaguely leftist or non right wing platforms, whatever they might be. Uh, like should be giving a platform to all manner of racists and Nazis and fascists and deplorables when it's not like any of their platforms that are, are giving any of, you know, yeah, their platforms are allowing a space for anyone on the left to be published or to debate or whatever, you know, how often is someone in the spectator is how often is Owen Jones in the spectator, you know, how, you know, not that he's even a particularly, like extremist person but it's like they would never give a platform to someone like that who they laugh at and they revile but we're expected to allow people like steve bannon into the new yorkers festival of ideas it's ridiculous they, and the, their hypocrisy knows no bounds no it, it it doesn't and and that's what they're counting on to be perfectly honest is is they're very good at exploiting the futile nobility of the left <laughs> And the futile nobility of the center, where we're where people on the left wing are very ready to get the smelling salts out over the slightest sort of um, sign of not being entirely perfect, and, and they're very good at exploiting that weakness and 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 sort of like just getting underneath the skin in that way. And it's something that the left really needs to um, welcome to politics cast, by the way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we always talk about this stuff, so people should be used to it by now. <laughs> they should, but. yeah. But but the, 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 the left wing needs to toughen up and it needs to, A, get a grip on the nastier elements of what's within it without thinking as though it's an assault on the left wing as, an, in, as a sort of entire concept and then stop being so bloody pathetic. And, yep. and and those are like the two strands is like sort out corruption and racism and sexism within the left wing stop being so weak-willed and stand up for what you believe in and become marketable um because at the moment the left wing's like it's not really very marketable is it you look at old jezza corbyn can't even beat yeah. Theresa may in a general election <laughs> can't even get ahead of the conservative party at the moment where pretty much everybody hates them just as much as they hate labor um mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah, like they it's hate a... them, but they know there's no alternative. So it's like, oh, fine, whatever. You know, I think everyone's just given up. Yeah, because at the moment the Labour Party is too busy thinking that there's a global conspiracy of Jews trying to undermine them, um, which is a really yeah. good thing to say wonder, when you're where, accused where of anti-Semitism. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well done. It's all guys. incredibly worrying. So all of all of this is just here to put into context the fact that romantic comedies exist and they're extremely good and fun and that they are worth your time and they are something you should be spending your time on and that they're a wonderful brilliant thing and to engage with them and to enjoy them is a political act in and of itself right everything is a political act except yes. having a little lie down well, no i'd even say then, even then that can be a political act depending having, on where having you a little, little lie, down, lie down it's definitely a political act because it's self-care and you're taught that people like Jordan Peterson would have you believe that self-care is a bad thing and that you shouldn't seek happiness and rights and whatever. So if you if you have a little lie down, you're defying Jordan Peterson. I think you should go and have a lie down right now. <laughs> Keep listening to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Have a little lie down. Keep your headphones on. Listen to us chatting about the movie known as I Love All The Boys. That's his, <laughs> that's his name, right? When you um, you texted me saying... 
I've been, I'm really enjoying I Love All the Boys. I was worried that you you were watching the wrong film, and I, I went on IMDb and I was like looking it up trying to has he found some obscure film called I Love All the Boys? Is that, there a film called a I Love like, All the Boys? There is not, but it was also because in the same breath you made a reference to High Fidelity that made it sound a bit like you thought it was a different film than it was. And then I made the connection that you thought that because of the element of sending out all the letters, because in High Fidelity, your namesake, Rob Gordon, sends out his letters to all his exes or gets in touch with all his exes to basically get them to tell him what an asshole he is. (laughs) Yes, um, yeah. Um, but it took me a while to make that collection, so I was like, "Oh no, is he watching the wrong film?" Is there some other? Because I, I sent you that text about fifteen minutes into "To All the Boys I've Loved Before." Yeah. Um, and and it kind of sets it up, and you see that that thing where she's written these letters that she never sends. It's like, oh, okay, I wonder what's going to happen with this. There's going to be some way where she confronts these people one by one, and it didn't go down that direction, and instead it went down a different kind of. Um, it goes down a different kind of uh, story arc that we've seen before. Yes, that's um, used very much as a kind of framing device or a device for the setup of a completely different romantic story slash impediment. Whereas I thought it was going to be all about her dealing with the fallout, but then also being like, who mailed the letters and why? And there's this whole high school intrigue thing when it was obviously just her sister. And I was like, oh, boring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um but i i really liked um i really liked uh to all the boys i loved before yes i i I enjoyed it it quite a lot as well i um i made the the fatal mistake of i think reading and hearing too much about it before going into watching it so i went in with very high expectations that were not met but i still very much enjoyed it so just goes to show that you shouldn't you should try and if you hear about a thing that's good stop hearing about it like just don't go on any social media don't talk to anyone about it until you can just work it out for yourself basically just live in a dark room and wait for us to give you film recommendations and then live your life that way (laughs) is what i'm saying because i because i'd heard people getting very very excited about this movie in the same way that they got very very excited about set it up um and i think it just goes to show that there's there's a clear audience that's very receptive to these kind of traditional um movies that that use a framework that's been seen many times before but then uses it to tell a modern story with modern sensibilities um because you know it's been a long time since the heyday of the traditional romantic comedies like that um and attitudes have changed and and i think that's the one thing that really sets this movie apart from teen romantic movies of like the mid to late 90s into the early 2000s is the way that it treats its characters the way that it treats romance very much through a modern lens um using what what sort of has become more acceptable since then to discuss and the ways in which it discusses it yeah you're right so you know there are sort of quite knowing references to sex and stuff throughout but it's it's never smutty there's no element of tittering or even really titillation it's just there's a bit of a thing where the dad i think talks to her about condoms or something and then it's kind of you know if that was in a 90s film there'd have been some kind of thing where or even a mid-2000s film there'd have been a thing where she had like a bag full of condoms and they were dropped everywhere and everyone was laughing at it and it was smutty but this was a bit more it just kind of got past that because everyone's really past that now. No one's tittering at sex anymore. It's a thing that happens. But then it still becomes a thing when they deal with like what's essentially a sex tape coming out. 
later on in the film. And that's the kind of the, the real denouement is when there's this footage of what it's not clear whether they actually did have sex or not in the hot tub, but there's this hot tub video that's going around. And that's quite a, you know, that's de- dealing with a more contemporary idea of things being shared on social media and people being shamed and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I thought that that side of it was good. Yeah, I I really liked the way that it sort of it took things from a modern angle, much like what I liked about Set It Up, where it did the same kind of thing, where it felt like real people that you'd meet out in the like in your day to day lives these days, rather than back in the days when they sort of used those tropes much more often in cinema. Um, with regards to the hot tub scene, I think it was made very clear that they didn't have sex. Yeah, um, I did not, and. <laughs> I did not. Um and and but it, it made that very good point about um what you see on social media and what gets shared in terms of the rumor mill um isn't true, but it can become true just by way of sharing it. Um kind of in the same way that Easy A did, but obviously this is, you know, several years later down the line, and I think it treats the idea of that social media sharing with a bit more care and attention. Yeah, and it's it's less silly than Easy A, just as a point of comparison. There's about, what, 10 years between the two films? Yeah. And yeah. that that shows as well. It's an interesting time. So 10 years ago, you know, the, the iPhone had only just started to exist. Social media existed, but it was all kind of in its infancy. Whereas if you're looking at the, the audience for this film, it's actually probably more aimed at people who are younger than us. You know, we're, we're 30 now. We're in a very, very different demographic once you cross that line. <laughs> Whereas, you know, people who are watching this film, they're maybe 20, 21, 19, 18, around that kind of age group. They haven't necessarily grown up watching films like She's All That or 10 Things I Hate About You, but they will still be aware of all of these tropes that feed into this film. But it's much smarter and much more for them because it deals with their kind of lived experience. And I think that's really great as well. I hope that it's introducing a new generation of people to the the brilliance and the wonder of the romantic comedy throughout the ages. And that it'll compel them then to go back and look at stuff from the 90s and to not laugh at Julia Stiles. Yeah, I mean, we are probably double the age of the demographic of this movie, I'd say. <laughs> uh, well, I, was, this is... I was trying to keep us young, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we are right. old men, Paddy. <laughs> we are old men who have no right to be watching this movie and enjoying it. Um, yep. Because cause this was based on a best-selling uh, young adult romance novel. Yeah. Um, I um, I read the free sample of it on Kindle, and it was all right. You know, yeah, it was it was sort of... I could see that if I was 14 or 15, I'd have found it very, very compelling. It was, it was well-written. It was good. Um, and yeah, it, I, I've heard very good things about it. It's had a very good reception. It's had a really good following. Um and the the sequel did very well too uh which has the terrible name i'm really sorry to say this it has the terrible name p.s i still love you um, which should have been the name to the sequel of p.s i love you (laughs) she she could sell that name to cecilia ahern for a hundred million euros (laughs) this this the, the sequel to to all the boys i've loved before should be to all the boys that I loved even more. And then it should have been another <laughs> another five letters. And it would have been like, this is the person who I met on a roller coaster. And this is the person that I met snowboarding down a mountain. This yeah. is the person who I rescued from a burning building. And you just amp it up. Michael Bays to all the boys I loved before. <laughs> this is this is my boyfriend who you don't know because he goes to a different school and is definitely real. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> just a, a question mark over the face for that one yeah um but but yeah i th- I think this movie i i i enjoyed it a lot I, I didn't go into it knowing very much about it apart from that places like buzzfeed were 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 very very excited about the fact that it existed in the first place um but i i found it very charming and i think the main reason was that the, the plot is fine the, the general conceit is um she has these letters that she wrote to boys that she's she's like crushed on before um that she's never sent but she uses she writes them because it's a way for her to help cope with understanding her feelings and her emotions um however those letters get leaked out and sent to each of those people um at that point you are kind of thinking oh are we going to see each of the five of them but in reality you only see three of them um one of them uh never reaches the person the the guy who was in the debate club or whatever you never see again um so it's about these three other people and really one of them is more sort of put in place as a supportive friend yeah well no uh, doesn't the debate club guy show up at the very end as like the setup for the sequel does he i wasn't paying was that after the credits i think it was after the credits yeah debate club guy shows up um and he's like with flowers and knocks on the door that was that was the end oh okay was was he is he now a hottie sequel uh is he uh, he he could be if he played his cards right should we say Okay. okay but he's got some stiff competition from attractive boy number one who looks also a fair bit like attractive boy number two you have two very attractive dark-haired teenage men in in this movie i say yeah. teenage men because neither of them looks like a teenager i don't know whether they are teenagers <laughs> but uh, they, they well, both have shades out. of beverly hills 9021 how about them um yeah and well, um sexy boy number two is 22 years old let's see and number one is 24 yeah blimey there we go so yeah. they are i feel a bit better because that feels very close to our age even though it's <laughs> not really yeah um but um but but yeah so so off the back of this um one of the men one of the one of the handsome men um the man boys one one of, one of the man boys so that that sounds like a derogatory <laughs> thing to call them yeah it's like uh, like um proud boys yeah exactly it's it's a cross between uh proud boys and man babies no we'll, we'll call them uh we'll call them the handsome young men um so one of them is having trouble with his girlfriend at the time who is the the evil girl at the high school because there's always an evil girl at the high school yeah um, yeah the, and the the kind of cookie cutter stone cold blonde bitch yes exactly um and because of this and sort of re- receiving this letter that says that she's in love with him um they explain it to one another and, and she explains okay this is what happened this, this is how i felt many years ago because uh he was her first kiss during a game of spin the bottle and that's where that sort of romance started and ended effectively um but they then decide okay let's pretend like we're going out to get back at your ex-girlfriend because i don't like her and you want to get back with her so this serves both of our purposes well um but obviously they fall in love yada 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 so it it's that same kind of trickery conceit that you see in a lot of older movies um but what i found helped really separate this out from from those movies of our, of of like the days gone by of back when we were young whippersnappers running around 
um, don't remind play, me. playing with those wheels with a stick, whatever they're called, the stick and hoop thing. Oh, the um, old hoop and stick. Yeah, old yeah. hoop and stick. Back in my day, we had two rocks and that's all we had. We didn't have none of your fancy Netflixes. Well, you we, didn't even have a rope, mate. The instead things of, you could do with a rope. Yeah, instead of streaming shows, we had two puppets and then we told stories with the puppets. And that's what we had for entertainment. What's television? <laughs> instead oh. of streaming shows... We would go down to the stream at the back of our house, which was literally a stream that had frogs in it. And those frogs would rib it and it would sound very similar to the the, the sound when you start up Netflix. And you'd try and get one to fall in love with the other one, but they never would. No, one would just eat the other. It was very sad. Yeah, very sad and quite disgusting, really. (laughs) Did you actually have a stream at the bottom of your house? No, I did not. No, we didn't either. We I wish just I had did foxes. Now, <laughs> um, yeah, um, th- this is all a lie, of course. We did not. We are not that old yet. No, um, we're only one hundred and two. We've got yeah, plenty of time to go. Exactly. Um, but yeah, so so even though that the general sort of plot is very familiar, I think what really helps separate it out is the way that the characters feel so fully fledged. And and the way that it it gets around the issue of making one person a jerk because both the leads in this movie are incredibly likable. I find the the young woman and the young man. Yes, yeah. I I think they they both showcase that they can you can be flawed and naive at that age, but still feel like. A mature human being which is something that was so missing from um from the, the the movies of when we were younger where teen comedies were idiotic teenagers yeah um, and also the people's roles were much more cookie cutter as well although they they kind of tried to play with it obviously in 10 things i hate about you for example heath ledger is seen as this kind of cocky guy he's he's a bit of a, a bit of a head case he's he's the outlaw type right he's the, he's the outlaw and then you've got some jocks maybe the jock who's like drawing boobs on the tray in the canteen, which is hilarious, but still, he's a jock. All he is is a jock. Whereas in this, it, um, to bring this up to date to all the boys I've loved before, the guy, Peter, he could easily just be an archetypal popular boy jock. He's clearly an attractive guy, you know, but they don't really go down that route. They actually kind of complicate him by having him have some insecurities and him also talking to it feels the school setting feels less hierarchical than it used to be and that i think is a direct consequence of how social media has leveled the playing field a little bit i mean it's still hierarchical and still tribal and all these awful things you still had terrible things coming out of high school but he's still talking to the character of this kind of geeky girl and still giving her the time of day and discussing things with her on the level and there's there's not Neither of them feel the need to mention, oh, you're a jock, you're this, you're that, you're whatever. They're just talking like normal people and having a normal conversation. And that is very refreshing. Yeah, I thought that was really nice. And it felt much more genuine because although there are those hierarchies at school and there are those cliques and things like that, um, it was never even the case when we were younger that those cliques were that bad. Um, it's it's never as bad as the movies have made it out to be. Um, Did you never get movie- called a grunger? Uh, yeah, I got called a grunger, but like everything was everything was more equal than it was in the movies. Um, in the movies, everything was obviously a very clear pastiche, and that's because that's how they like to frame it. 
Um, so no, no, none of those films really felt genuine. Whereas this does feel genuine. It feels like it feels like a high school. Apart from the, I, I, I didn't like the fact that they had the archetypal evil, uh, evil mean girl, um, and I felt that felt like that felt a little bit out of sorts. Um, yes, with the it wasn't the necessary to make her like that either, really, because it could have just been a thing between her and him and the other guy because of the letters, right? So yeah, that was a little bit flat and and like you needed her to be a bit nasty because you didn't want her and peter handsome handsome young man um (laughs) young and handsome yeah (laughs) exactly um you you didn't you you didn't want to feel like they should get back together and making her too sympathetic maybe would have would have tied into that but it felt a little bit too on the nose to really feel genuine um and um but but apart from that it felt very real and it and the fact that th- there was this more fluidity between who was friends and who wasn't and who talk and who wouldn't um made it feel so much more real and therefore so much more compelling to watch yes definitely so they they did well with most of the characters there and i'm sure that that's a testament to the book as well and how that's all done in the book because if you're adapting a book with paper thin characters it's not going to translate to the screen right well, exactly, yeah. I mean, as we saw with Fifty Shades of Grey um, and Fifty Shades Dark. I, I don't know what free. you mean. <laughs> there was characters in those books? Christian Grey um, had at least two dimensions. <laughs> um, but yeah, so and and so it, it, I'm sure that the book is, is very good at creating these characters because, you know, good source material goes a long way in making a successful movie. Um, but it, it it's a really well made film and it's a really carefully written film um, and you there's very few characters in the movie that you dislike um, even things like like my, my one of my favorite characters in the film was was the younger sister um, who I thought was a really a really nice little character um, and and really sort of um, lit up the screen when she was on um and and it's very rare that you see a kind of smart ass younger sibling not be irritating in these kind of movies yeah it's good especially as the actress is actually 37 <laughs> have you ever seen uh the movie orphan uh no i have not you should watch the movie orphan if what, you, if what you is a, it about it is a horror film unfortunately it is not suitable for um for this podcast but i highly recommend you don't read anything about it and go and watch it because it is it is exactly my favorite kind of dumb clever um it's really yeah it's really quite something that's what they say about me (laughs) um but yeah it's and and do you know what i mean though that that the characters in this movie don't feel irritating even the ones that traditionally feel irritating in these kind of films yeah there's no kind of goofy friend character who's there just to kind of provide that kind of stupid light relief is there and no. even the dad is good and there's there's an emotional dad speech isn't there there is an emotional dad speech yep ticks there, that box for us there's in fact actually quite a long emotional dad scene like where they actually rather than just having be quite a, a cheap speech that serves a plot purpose and has some sports metaphors it's actually like a whole scene where they bond in this diner and you're like wow this is good dad time with the guy from my big fat Greek wedding whose name I can never remember. <laughs> um yeah, you're you're completely right. It it really goes that level further. And and 
and that, and that's true across the board of this film it goes that level further into its characters and that's what i really really liked about it because we've all seen movies like this before and 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 these days you need to find something that separates you out from the crowd if you're going to make this kind of film um, you do but and- at the same time because there is so much content out there and so much hashtag content even just on netflix <laughs> um it's almost accepted that things will be a little bit generic and a little bit tropey and people are okay with that in the same way that set it up was kind of a bit tropey and it's kind of is a bit knowing in that way isn't it yeah it, it understands every every movie every genre movie these days is meta yeah um i think is the best way to put it it's every every movie if it if it's if it's walking a well-trod path it wants the audience to know that it knows that it's doing it and and this movie is no exception much like set it up um and and so it will subvert your expectations here and there and then when it doesn't it will still let you know hey we know what we're doing don't worry yeah for sure the man's name is John Corbett, by the way. I don't know why I can never remember that. <laughs> I think because it sounds like a, a Labour MP from Tony Blair's cabinet in 99. John Corbett. John Corbett. But um, yeah, he's the guy from My Big Fat Greek Wedding. And honestly, he has not aged a day since that film. No, I was going to say. <laughs> is he secretly a robot? Maybe, yeah. He's an, he's an android. Yeah. Um, it's been... yeah. Wow, 16 years since that film. Oh, wow. Oh, and he's also a country singer. He's he's also a country singer? Yeah, that's what it says on Wikipedia. Oh, mate. John Joseph Corbett, born May 1961, is an American actor and country music singer. Get that in the show notes. I want to I wanna see some of that. Yeah, oh man, there's a photo of him when he's like a young man. Man, he's handsome. He's got that kind of long hair curtains thing going on. Jeez. Oh, okay. He's great, but yeah, in this he's he's very he's a good dad, isn't he? He is a good dad. Um, yeah, the the family scenes are really nice in this movie. Yeah, and it, it opens with him trying to cook Korean food and not doing it well, which is a quite interesting little thing as well because obviously he's he's white, but their um their mum was Korean and she's dead. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's a rule about anything involving young adults: you have to have at least one dead parent exactly yeah you've got to you've got to do it um it's um it's it's just the dumb thing isn't it yeah for sure but it it does work as a thing here it does yeah and and again it it, when when they mention it it's like oh yeah i know i you know i know where this is going but it's still like okay yeah we um we we know what we're doing don't worry guys it sort of it gives you a quick pat on the shoulder to reassure you every now and again yeah that's the that's the exact thing about this is that nothing in it is unexpected I didn't. There was nothing in it that surprised me at all. It just sort of lumbered towards its conclusion, and you went, "Yep, fine. That's what I thought was going to happen. Here we go. Great." But I still enjoyed it. And usually, those kind of things don't go hand in hand. And that's, I think, what I mean when I say that Netflix know what they're doing with this, and it, with it being kind of tropey and meta, and just that right level of generic. Yeah. Yeah, it, it it's right. It's a nice it's a nice cozy film that occasionally just sort of goes, "Hey, hey, uh take t- take some notice of us now. We're doing something different." And then you're like, "Oh, okay, yay." Um so yeah, it's it's comfortable but at the same time engaging, which is a nice blend to have. Yeah. Was would you have paid to see this in the cinema? 
Um, I've seen worse at the cinema. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's a whole other thing. <laughs> I think I think the use of cinemas now has changed. Where when you when you go to see something at the cinema now, because there's so much availability of things elsewhere, you go to the cinema to see something that will wow you. Whether it's something that will have a huge emotional impact on you, whether it's something that will be artistically engaging, or whether it'll be something that um, that blows you away with action set pieces or something like that. Um, okay, but we don't have to talk about Mamma Mia two right now. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's it's all about having that big. Uh, that big wow factor when i see something at the cinema now so i don't know whether i would these days or do you mean the uh, a... the big Wahlberg factor <laughs> the big Wahlberg factor exactly um so i don't know whether i would see this movie these days but that's not an indication that i think this movie wouldn't have done well in the cinema um i think it would have done it would have it would have done pretty well and i think a lot of people would have would have taken a lot out of it but audience use of cinema has changed a lot in the last five years yes i agree and i think people go to it for very different reasons and they want to go for an experience it's it's that thing whole thing of experience and i think if if this film this film i just think would not have done as well in that context but i'm very very i'm really glad that the context of it being a straight onto netflix release allows it to do well in that own context because it's its own thing and that that the more that we get films like this and like set it up um the more that that will become an acceptable and good context for films to be released in and we'll start to get better and better films without with actually probably less box office disappointment because the gulf between those two things will become bigger and people will they'll stop making shit films at the box that are released in cinemas eventually well they'll never stop completely but you know you say that (laughs) yeah. <laughs> I think I think the worrying thing is the way that movies that get released in cinema are shifting. Um so you look at fantastic sci-fi movies like Annihilation. Um they they didn't get a theatrical release in the in in Europe. Um because the the studio was too concerned about um about it not doing well in cinemas and so sent it straight to Netflix. Um whereas at the same time you get 10 million um comic book adaptations yeah um and it seems as though that's where a lot of the emphasis is going is spending more and more money on these elaborate action movies because that's what people want to see at the cinema and it means that perhaps movies that would do well in a cinema setting that would would be engaging to see on the big screen um perhaps aren't going to get the love that they need because it's seen as a gamble um and it it's kind of reminiscent of what happened with uh, and i mean time will tell and i'm probably going to be completely wrong but it's kind of reminiscent to what happened to the big budget um musicals um so hollywood musicals were massive and they were a huge spectacle and you even had um sort of like pre-release showings that were shown in exclusive cinemas where you paid a bit extra to see them and things like that they were a huge deal in hollywood though these massive money spinners but as attitudes shifted and tastes changed they started losing their luster a little bit um and but then um, eventually we got to the greatest showman and it was all fine again (laughs) well yes there's been this kind of resurgence but um, hugh jackman made cinema great again but even then um you know people don't want to take a gamble on it because it costs so much money and so you had these studios in the 60s um still reveling in what they thought audiences wanted 
um, but failing dismally at the box office, so much so that it nearly killed Warner Brothers, for instance. Um, they had a, a couple of missteps with musicals and it nearly killed that studio entire, in, in its entirety. Um, and, and I kind of wonder, is the same thing going to happen with, with these big budget like comic book movies? When, when audiences change and when, they, when there is that burnout... Is there going to be? Are they going to realise quickly enough that they need to put their investment into other kinds of movies, or is it going to be too late? And you already see movies like the the um, the uh, Dark Universe films, which were supposed to be this big universal relaunch of their classic monster movies in like an action cinematic universe setting, fail failed after one movie. They released the Mummy with Tom Cruise. It did oh. so badly that it killed off their entire plans for this relaunch of the franchise. Well, um, any fool could have told you that that was going to happen. But but all of these experts who were making the movie in the first place thought, you know what, we've got one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood because Tom Cruise is still... If you look at the statistics, you put Tom Cruise in a movie, he's going to make you a ton of money. Yeah. Um, a recognisable franchise like The Mummy. Um, loads of money behind it. A big sort of like action movie recognizable is one word good is another (laughs) (laughs) well i i'd really love to see someone take a crack at doing another traditional uh mummy horror film people go into a pyramid bad stuff happens that that, i'd love that what about mother (laughs) (laughs) i think we're not giving darren aronofsky enough credit here there was naught out of twenty for mother because there was literally no mummies in it. Yeah, no, no mummified Egyptians walking around eating people's eyes. Have you heard that um, they've discovered some mummified cheese? We were talking about this. I, I was at um, the softball tournament on on uh, Saturday, and just FYI, my team won the division. We were undefeated. Hey, very nice. So absolutely killed it. I'm still still feeling really good from it. But we um we was, we spent a lot of time talking about mummified cheese. Have you heard about the mummified cheese? I have heard about the mummified cheese and the the weird red liquid as w- well. Would you um would you eat the mummified cheese? If it wasn't going to kill me, I'd probably give it a go. When else well, are you going to have the yeah. chance? World's oldest cheese discovered inside ancient Egyptian tomb. The solid mass was only recently unveiled more than 130 years after the tomb was first discovered. Grab it. A- <laughs> The cheese was discovered in a broken vessel in the tomb of. Sorry, I was just laughing at the um the title of the article, which is "Mummy's Milk." <laughs> <laughs> That's revolting. Yes. Yeah, I guess you'd want a second opinion on whether it might kill you. But yeah, I'd have a go. Yeah, I'd give it a go. Um. Yeah, you know, you've got to try these things, haven't you? <laughs> Weird red liquid. Might turn you into a superhero. Might outright kill you. Yeah, I mean that's Mummified that's the most cheese. obvious like superhero origin story that I've ever heard. Yeah, I went into this Egyptian tomb. There was this weird red gunk, and I drank it because you know, <laughs> YOLO. Yeah. <laughs> um. And uh. And yeah, it didn't you know? Now I've got the power of an ancient Egyptian magician. Yeah. You could walk like an Egyptian. You could walk like an Egyptian. Probably not the best way to get around, but um. Yeah. But but you're right. All all of this franchise bullshit. I think the films like To All the Boys I've Loved Before, even though there will potentially be sequels and whatever, there will be a, an element of merchandising and franchising to it. All of this kind of Marvel Cinematic Universe bullshit, people will tire of it. And I think by the time that people do tire of it, it will be too late because most of the audience for 
cinema in general will have gone on to Netflix and to streaming and all of these kind of films where better and better stuff is being made. And yeah, so I don't think cinema will ever die. There'll always be that amazing because I'm I'm usually the person saying, oh no, people will always want to go to the cinema, you know, in the same way that people will always want print books. It's just, it, people will always want those kind of experiences. But the kinds of films that you get in the cinema there will be more and more stuff that is excluded from that because people don't want to deal with that element of distribution and that element of risk. They'd rather sell it to a company like Netflix who have just as much purchasing power and as much money to deliver on um, rights and royalties and whatever. Yeah, and and I, you're completely right. Cinema's never going to go away. Um, people have been saying that cinema's been going away for every single kind of technological advancement. Um, but it, it sticks around. And, like, you know, prices might go up. The, the kinds of movies that you see there might be limited but it's also worth bearing in mind that the number of movies that's being created is increasing all the time as well mm-hmm. um so people think like oh you know you see less kinds of movies it's like you might see less kinds of movies maybe but mark, um, mark Wahlberg's still getting work so you know. yeah and and i'm not even sure if you do see less kind of movies i think it might it, it seems as though that's the trend at the moment i think it might continuing might continue to go that way but i mean that there's a few things that you've kind of lost i think the thing that i missed the most that i was never around to really take advantage of when it was at its peak was the dumb action movie made exclusively for an adult audience um so you look at the 1980s action films made by like arnold schwarzenegger and sylvester stallone the vast majority of those are 18 rated you look at the original terminator was 18 rated films like uh, commando and predator these were all 18s robocop was an 18 um and you don't get those movies anymore the last time that they really tried it um or or the last few times that they've tried making these these big budget action films um made for adults to watch only um it's been very hit and miss so dread was a fantastic adaptation of judge dread the comic um one of the one of the best adaptations of a comic in cinema it's a great movie but it it failed incredibly badly at the box office no one went to go and see it um, and and you've got the John Wick movies with Keanu Reeves, and those have been a really good resurgence of of these kind of high budget action movies made for adults instead of you know there's lots of blood in them, there's lots of actual violence. It feels that much more visceral, which is what you want. You don't want um, you don't want people hitting each other in CGI and it not feeling real because it's not an interesting thing to watch. Um, no, and nothing is basically nothing is given an 18 rating anymore like a film has to be really extreme to get that whereas back in the day they dish it out to anything and i, I remember mean, when much, we were um... about we were in our sort of young teens and trying to get hold of 18 films or like maybe one of your mates had got hold of an 18 and it was like oh my god this is going to be the most extreme thing ever it's amazing we're going to watch an 18 oh it's gross but like yeah there's nothing i've just searched 18 rated films this year and it's just giving me like lists of from the last decade two of which are 50 shades of gray and 50 shades darker which and the wolf of wall street which yeah fair enough <laughs> yeah I, I don't think the wolf of wall street could ever get anything other than an 18 rating could it um and i'm not sure i think dread was an 18 um right. as well um but yeah i these days it's primarily like horror movies that get an 18 rating um and and you get the odd film here and there that is but again it's to do with the outdated way in which they they treat things that need an 18 rating so um so 
violence if there's lots of blood if there's no blood you're fine i mean you look at the amount of violence in all of the marvel movies the last marvel movie saw 50 percent of all of the life in the universe get destroyed <laughs> and that was still a 12a because they didn't they didn't explode in a shower of blood like what happens in watchmen they sort of disintegrated into little dust particles yeah or if they did um, it on the number of people who die then titanic would have to be an 18 well yes exactly um and um and yeah, so there's all of these workarounds that people use to not get that 18 rating. Um, but yeah, but it's very outdated. It's things like drug use, sex, particularly if it's sex that shows women enjoying it, which is a very weird thing. Yeah. Um, and um, and lots of blood and side bad language. Pain. There's any side, side pain. pain. Yeah. yeah. Um, and bad, if, bad um, language. Quentin Tarantino directed it. Yes, and Quentin Tarantino's films generally tick all of the above boxes multiple times. Um, which that's not true a, a woman has never enjoyed herself on screen in a tarantino <laughs> film i refuse to believe that <laughs> well did you watch um what was his last one the one where they're all in a cabin the western um it's it's pretty dire actually inglorious bastards inglorious bastards is a great little movie um oh what's it called for most recent one the, ha- um, the hateful eight the hateful eight um Kristen scott thomas is in that and um is it Kristen scott thomas or am i you're asking the wrong person <laughs> let me let me look it up <laughs> did you know that the hateful eight came out and the same year adam sandler did a really dumb western movie called the ridiculous six yes wait was that <laughs> was, no, was, like, was that not a parody of the hateful eight? well it, it, i think it came out the same year or maybe the year after um, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, not Kristen Scott Thomas, uh, a, yeah. another three named person, and she's having a whale of a time in a lot of the movie. It doesn't end very well for her. Spoiler alert! Um, but uh, in case you need a spoiler for a Quentin Tarantino movie, everybody dies. I mean, you know, you're watching a Tarantino movie; everybody's going to die. Um, but for a lot of the film, she's laughing her head off. She's loving it. Speaking of Adam Sandler. He has just last week been pictured holding hands with Jennifer Aniston and sporting a porn star moustache, and I am <laughs> I am here for this. I am I am very rarely there for Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah, I'm our well, you know resident Sandler apologist. You are, you are. <laughs> um, I'd still yeah, rather so. watch literally any Adam Sandler film than any Quentin Tarantino film. And Adam Sandler has done some really abominable shit. I mean, that is absolutely terrible, Paddy, and you're missing out <laughs> on some really good movies. I'd rather watch um, Big Daddy than any any Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> I mean, you are missing out on some wonderful films there. To be to be fair, I I, I I'm not the biggest Tarantino fan. I I recognise his limitations, um, and I recognise his strengths, but like. If you're missing out on movies like Jackie Brown or Pulp Fiction or Inglourious no. Bastards or I'd, ra- I'd rather watch Juice Bigelow European Gigolo. We're gonna. I'm gonna. The next time I see you, Paddy, <laughs> I'm gonna put you to the test on this. We're gonna watch. <laughs> we're going to watch Pulp Fiction or Jackie Brown or maybe Inglourious Bastards, um, and then we're going to what? We're going to watch. <laughs> Juice Piccolo, <laughs> European Gigolo. Well, and you're going to no, see which one's the better movie. He's uncredited in that one, so that's a Rob Schneider film. So maybe let's not plumb those depths. Okay, but, we'll watch the yeah, one no, where he is... plays his own twin, Jack and <laughs> Jill. One. Yeah, we'll watch Jack and Jill. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good idea for for us to do a, like a one-off special. Is yeah, we'll watch one of those and then and then one of each and then compare them. 
<laughs> it's a great idea. I think that's going to go down really well. Um, did you know that Quentin Tarantino is tied to the next Star Trek movie? Oh, dear. How weird is that going to be? Yeah. Um, uh, I haven't seen a Star Trek movie since the one um, the one with Benedict Cumberbatch and Anton Yelchin and all that. That was quite a while ago, but I very much enjoyed that one. I've never was... been a big Star Trek fan, but I went to that as a one-off, I think, because a bunch of mates were going, and I actually really enjoyed it. It's um, it's a fine little... Uh fine little movie i think that all of the most recent um most recent ones are all right actually um they're 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 fine they're fine films i think a lot of people dislike them because it, they don't feel very star trekky but they're it, as far as sci-fi action romps go they're much more effective than a lot of the stuff that gets released these days hmm. sorry I'm, I'm on adam sandler's imdb page and on the right-hand side, it's got projects in development. I didn't know it had this on TV, but this just sounds like a list of really awful stuff. So we've got Court Stealing, Fat Man, <laughs> Gold Diggers, Hello Ghost, Summer <laughs> Hello School, Ghost. Take Me to Your Leader, Tonka, Untitled Animated Adam Sandler Project, and Valet Guys. Like all of these sound a little bit like you know when Alan Partridge is trying to make up ideas for a second series, a little bit monkey tennis. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! I just love, there's one in there just called Fat Man. <laughs> <laughs> Fat Man. Yeah. Is that actually what it's called? It's just called Fat Man. <laughs> it's just two words: comedy, drama, romance. There's no more information about it. Oh dear, but wow. You can get more if you sign up to IMDb Pro. Hmm, I'm, I'm suspicious. <laughs> um, speaking of Quentin Tarantino, did you know that he ghostwrote the It's Pat movie? Do you know It's Pat? No, is this a it's film this, about my it's, life? It's this... Uh, not quite no <laughs> it's a it's an snl skit about this character called pat who's sort of um androgynous um played played by julia sweeney um and um and i'm it, really <laughs> disappointed that you didn't say julia styles then <laughs> i mean that would be amazing i think it was a little bit before her time um and um and yeah it uh and and so it, much like many other snl skits at the time it got a movie adaptation um and um it was really the the script was was not so great so uh one of the first things that quentin tarantino did was was be a ghostwriter for this movie so i think it was, this was after he'd done reservoir dogs but before pulp fiction i think um and and yeah so he ghostwrote and is not credited on this absolute bomb of a comedy movie that no one saw oh no it's one of those few movies that has a naught percent rating on rotten tomatoes Oh wow! Um, okay, share, sharing it with uh, with movies such as Jaws: The Revenge, Police Academy Four, and the McDonald's movie that's like ET called Mac and Me. Holy! Have you, shit. Have you ever watched Mac and Me? I did not know that existed. That's incredible. Was this around the time that they were trying to like brand McDonald's as a fun thing, like where there was that game McDonald Land on the on the um, on the NES? Yeah, it's exa- so this was back in 1988. So yeah, it was exactly the same time where where McDonald's was branching out into other sort of areas um, to try and shit. try and promote itself in different means. 
Um, oh, I so, see. Max stands for mysterious alien creature. Yeah. It's um, <laughs> it's quite something. Um, it's basically just a ninety-minute-long McDonald's ad. Yeah, <laughs> the film was nominated for four Golden Raspberry Awards, winning Worst Director and Worst New Star for Ronald McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, it was not directed by Ronald McDonald. Wow, I really want to see this. It, it is quite something. Budget thirteen million. Yeah. Like McDonald's have got that kind of money, though, haven't they? It's peanuts to them. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's absolutely no, you know, pocket change for them. Wow, I'm very impressed that that exists. I think they need to get that shit on Netflix right now. This is the other thing that Netflix should be doing as part of their strategy: is picking up all these kind of old shitty films, but that have a sort of cult status, and then that should be like a category in and of itself on Netflix. Because for the people who own the rights to those films, it's a way to start squeezing a little bit more money out of them but they can pro- Netflix can probably acquire them relatively cheaply and people will get into it and there'll be this kind of internet cult around it I reckon Netflix yeah there's your idea there's- and, and they've they've started it in certain ways so I've noticed a fair few like cult horror movies cropping up on there right so movies like the night of the comet and um, I'm I'm very excited uh, to watch the return of the living dead which is a really good sort of zombie horror comedy from the 80s um which i'm currently trying to convince my other half to watch but she is not having any of it um but it's a really it's a really fun sort of like cheesy b movie um that's like one of the best zombie movies ever made and so it's been picking up it's been picking up a fair few horror cult classics um but i'd really like them to to pick up more i think it would be really good fun to see that these kind of cult films have more of a following yeah for sure and also creating new sorts of cultish films as well, I guess. Because not everyone is going to watch To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Not everyone's going to like it. A lot of people are going to open Netflix and just completely skip over it. But it's really... I love to see that stuff like this has found its audience. And in fact, that even Netflix's marketing seemed to have built up enough internet hype that the audience was already there by the time it went live. So Netflix, I think, are doing all this stuff really right. Yeah, they really are. Um, And... They, they know precisely who wants to watch these kind of movies and delivers them to them, um, which I think is quite something. And and there is so much choice on Netflix. And yes, a lot of it might not be exactly what you want to watch in terms of quality. But but when it has something that is that they've put a lot of effort into, they always make sure that you know about it, which I really like. And so it's very hard to miss new things that come on there that they've helped create. Um, which is which is quite something. Yeah, it's good. And they're doing it for documentaries and other stuff as well, not just for feature films. There's this show that Claire's been watching, and I can't remember what it's called. It's um, Now that we've finished Queer Eye, we've got to move on to some other gentle television. But it's like, um, it's basically Queer Eye for houses. It's like people who own second properties, and then they do them up to sell them on Airbnb, which sounds very, obviously, bourgeois, but it's, it's weirdly like gentle because the designers are really nice to the people, and they make the houses look all nice and stuff. It's it's great. I can't remember what it's called. I really like those. I really like those shows. Um, yeah. I, I find that nailed it is a nice comfort watch. Yeah. yeah, seeing people make bad cakes is is good. It's gentle television, the same as yes. like Bake Off and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And there's a place for that. There is. There definitely is. Um, because a lot of stuff that goes onto these streaming services is quite sort of like slow burn, intense, um, 
and it's nice to see that they're sort of broadening their scope to include things that maybe aren't as intense and that people can just watch and enjoy and not really pay too much attention to. Yeah, which is what was always supposed to be the point of Adam Sandler films, but he ruined it by making Big Daddy. He ruined it by not making anything good past 1997. It's hard to disagree with that. <laughs> Soz, mate. Um, I thought it was good that they um, they watched 16 Candles and he's like isn't this character Long Duck Dong totally racist and she's like yeah it is but they're watching the film anyway that's, <laughs> that was kind of like a nice woke moment that was a, that was a neat touch because obviously that's been a, become a big talking point and a lot of people have been like oh why are you talking about this ancient movie like that um, and it's nice of them just to address us like yeah it is racist you can still watch it yeah, it's still possible to watch it and even to enjoy it, whilst also acknowledging that that is horrible racism that was of its time that would never happen now, and can condemn that because it was terrible. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and and yeah, I think it shows a lot of awareness of of that movie overall. It is referenced a couple of times, Sixteen Candles, which is nice. Um, and again, it's the kind of movie that you know, if you're a young if you're a young person who watches this. It then points you in the right direction for for other classic movies of of different eras that might hit the same notes. Yeah, because without wanting to be a sort of nostalgic older generation pushing their stuff onto a younger generation, I think that if you enjoy this film, you could get a lot out of Sixteen Candles. Although Sixteen Candles is actually even before our time, really, isn't it? It came out before yeah, we were born. Yeah, but it was like us. all of all of the kind of films that we watched referenced it. So it was like it's that that kind of the through lines are there and if it's if it steers people towards that then that's a good thing because john hughes did some great work and i think that um that to all the boys i've loved before it will hit the same kind of notes in that the story that's told here will still be relevant to people in 10 years time even if you know ideas change and even even if technology changes there's still enough here for people to enjoy a decade on. And, and you know, it may well not have the same longevity because of the way that, you know, ideas of movies have changed now. It's much more easy to discard these films and, and for them to lose that potential to become a classic of, of for, for, for years and years to come. Um, but I, th- I think, again, it tells a universal story that lots of people can appreciate and, and get on board with. Yeah, people used to write a lot of love letters to me back when i was a generic looking handsome high school lad um most of them were from me of course yeah yeah for sure and we looked just like each other (laughs) it's true yeah sorry i don't keep banging on about it but i still feel as a slightly larger man that i i want to see more characters more male characters in these kind of films more male leads who aren't just cookie cutter attractive and I'm sure that it's much worse for women not seeing themselves represented in that way either. But it still kind of pisses me off, you know? Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of feel the same way. It'd be nice to have more variety. Um, and, like, you get the odd movie that's like that. And then you get other ones that feel much less sort of um, appreciative, as it were. And I will not accept Rob Schneider in a fat suit. <laughs> Nobody should accept Rob Schneider in a fat suit um and um and yeah so it would be nice to have more variety in that regard but i think this movie still makes important steps forward in the way that it treats a jock character or a character that would previously have just been a brainless jock with emotions and with 
uh, with contradictions within themselves. Yeah. Which, which gives a male character much more depth than they normally do in these kind of movies. It's incredibly woke that he's not an American football player, but that he's a lacrosse player. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, like, is it, lacrosse a thing in American schools? Is that what they're playing now? Maybe. You know, or maybe it's just, you know, it's a neat little extra thing. It's like it's not football, it's something else. Yeah. Um, but, but, this, but the fact What's that... wrong with baseball? Well, have you got an hour? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, and uh, and and yeah, I think there's there's a lot of and 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 what I really like is the way that his character is complex, and he doesn't potentially know what he wants, and he's got these different emotional ties to different people, and he can't quite let go of his ex. But at the same time, he recognizes that he genuinely cares for this for this girl, but he can't open up to tell her directly um, because, again, they've set up this pact and they're both supposed to be in on this non-emotional pact. Um, yeah, and that element of the plot did fall down for me a little bit because it very, very quickly obviously crossed the line of that pact where they just wanted to genuinely be together and it felt a little bit like an artificial... Um, impediment as i always say but there there were bits where i felt like that I was like, you obviously like each other just get on with it but i wasn't like genuinely annoyed about it but there were one or two moments where it, that fell down a bit for me but it's a difficult conceit to maintain for that long yeah and i I think the way i think because i because again i felt the same way but i think the way that they brought up how they overcame that and how they sort of discussed it in terms of they do like each other but they can't admit it um, I think the way that they showed the nuance and the, and, and the elements of both of them that had been broken by their own constraints about what they felt love was, um, I felt that that saved it for me from it just being another generic, will they, won't they? Yeah. De- oh, definitely. Yeah, it wasn't that by any stretch. Um, so, yeah, I like this movie. It was good. Yeah, me too. A lot was made of the fact that she's an Asian-American lead as well, and that's important for representation as well, which is good. And there was a bit of counter-criticism to that, saying that, like, okay, okay, well, the female lead is Asian, but the male romantic leads are not, and that people wanted to see an Asian male romantic lead in there. But I don't think that one film should have to shoulder all of that responsibility, you know? No, again, it's... You know, it it makes good strides forward in various ways. You can't just chuck all of this stuff into the same movie. And I don't know if if in the book whether they were both Asian. No, they weren't. And the the people the author has kind of been forced to respond to this, and she's obviously a bit weary. And she said, "Well, I wrote the book that I wrote. I can't change that. I mean, you could have kind of obviously artificially changed it for the film, but she said I wrote it how I wrote it, and I wasn't necessarily trying to make some kind of grand statement. The characters just came out how they came out. You know." Which is fair no, enough. That, that's her prerogative as an author. Exactly. And and equally, people could then make the complaint, why is it not a, a mixed race relationship? Yeah, exactly. And kind of how far do you go down that yeah. line? So it's, it's... it's good in terms of representation, I think. And, you know, we've got that. And then we've got Crazy Rich Asians about to come out in the box office as well, which is one of... Um, and that's, gonna, that's a cinematic release rather than a kind of Netflix one, which looks like a real big budget smash and seems to be doing really well and that's based on one of claire's favorite books so i'm very excited to see that when it comes out next week yeah no i've heard that that's um that's one to watch as well which is cool yeah so from that point of view i think it's a 
we're at a good time for Asian representation on screen. Yeah, I mean it can be better. Um, oh, but what what I what always I re- be better. What I what I really liked as well is that often Asian female Asian characters on screen when they're not being played by Scarlett Johansson, they <laughs> are. Um, yeah, that wasn't what I meant when I said it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> um they they are often sort of like the quirky uh colored hair type um and and here she's a she's a perfectly normal teenager yeah and and there wasn't any of that attempt to uh like add kookiness to it which is often what happens to to female asian characters yeah um it and often so, becomes very self-conscious and it wasn't a self-conscious film in any way it wasn't no. self-regarding Yes, and and so it's nice that it's just a normal person who's going out with you know someone else, and it's fine, and it just feels like a perfectly standard relationship. It's good. It's nice that there's this kind of film that doesn't make a heavy point of it either, and in a way, that's a equally valid and equally important method of representation. Yes, exactly. I agree with that. So yeah, um, a man in this handsome boy, handsome boy two is called Noah Centineo, good name. And he is also in another new Netflix romantic comedy that premieres next week, which is called Sierra Burgess is a Loser. Have you heard about this? I have not, no. So it also stars him alongside Shannon Purser, Barb from Stranger Things. Um, And it's a retelling of the Cyrano de Bergerac story. So she's like pretending to be someone else. Um, because she can write well for a popular girl or whatever. And I think I haven't watched the trailer yet, but all of the early indications seem to be that that looks really good as well. So they're they're doing well with this kind of stuff. So I'm looking forward to seeing him in that um, alongside Shannon Purser, who I think is really good. Yeah, um, I've only seen Stranger Things, but Stranger Things is nice. That is is an excellent show. You know, I, I really, really love that show. Oh, she's also in Riverdale which is very good. I haven't seen all of Riverdale, but she's very good in that as well. Yeah, because I've I've heard good things about Riverdale, but I've never watched it. Riverdale's great. It's very, it's quite trashy and sort of overly, pointlessly bombastic in the way that it approaches kind of high school relationships and intrigue. And it's sort of like quite funny. And it's, yeah, it's weird. And it goes in some strange directions. I've only watched like the first, most of the first series, but it's, it's pretty good. Okay, yeah, because it 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 looked like the kind of thing that I wouldn't really get on board with, so I've been avoiding it so as not to disappoint myself. Yeah, um, where where you're right, I I don't really appreciate things that are heavy on the melodrama, and yeah. and I've heard that it is quite heavy on the melodrama. It is, but it approaches it in quite a relatively playful way. I'd say I I find it enjoyable. Cool. Okay, I will consider watching it. Yeah. So yeah. It's a good good time for Netflix. Good time it all is. around. It is a good time for Netflix. So, do you have anything else to say about I Love All The Boys? <laughs> all I have to say is I love all the boys. Um, so, um, in terms of trivia, there's that very cute back pocket spin. Um, and, uh, and, and that was actually an improvised little scene where he spins her around, where they have their first sort of like initial fake romantic romantic frisson when they're in, ah. the, in the canteen and that was nice. a, that was a little improvised session which was nice um and um and yeah apart from that the author of the book um 
uh, made a cameo appearance as a chaperone um, when when uh, Lara Jean and Lucas dance together in that flashback. Oh, that's cool. Um, which is which is nice. Um, and yeah, they they have mentioned that they'd like to do a sequel potentially, and obviously they do have um, two further books to call upon. Yeah, this. the the books are there. Surely that's a no brainer. Um, so yeah, given how well this movie's done so far, I imagine that there will probably be some further ones if everyone involved wants to wants to do it. Yeah, get on it. Um, so yeah, so that that'll probably do it for for the old trivia. Excellent. How shall we rate this then? Uh, how many boys did you love before <laughs> out of twenty? How many letters did I send? Well, I, I, I sent quite a, quite a lot of letters, I guess. I, I think I sent sixteen. I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I'd, I'd probably go um, sixteen as well myself. I think that's a good score for this film. It's a, yeah, good number. Like it's not, it's not bombastic. It's not epic. It's not huge. It's not life changing, but it knows exactly what it needs to do. It does it really well, and it's fun and enjoyable. Yes, exactly. It's it's a really it's a really nice little movie. It's clever. Uh, the characters are incredibly likable, which is really nice. Um, and and yeah, it's a it's a nice feel good movie. You'll come out of it feeling good, and you'll feel happy. Yeah, it's well worth your time. Yes. Cool. Well, all I all I have left to say is that I'm sorry that we made you all watch Fifty Shades. If you did, <laughs> <laughs> if you we, if you bothered, <laughs> if you bothered to watch it, yeah, we're sorry. Yeah. Um. And we're we're back on track now. Yes, we're now back to watching, <laughs> watching stuff that's yeah. not Fifty Shades of Grey. Speaking of which, what are we going to watch next? As it's it is it is your choice. Ah, uh, it's true. So, um, so I I have two options for you. Um, one is since since this movie when it started, it reminded me of High Fidelity. High Fidelity. I thought, oh, you know what? We've not watched High Fidelity yet. So that so that could be a movie to watch. Yeah. Alternatively, yeah, we could watch something suitably autumn themed, as we are now getting into uh, autumn. Okay. We are, but at the same time, I feel like we're not quite there yet. I haven't seen enough yellow leaves for my liking, you know. Or should I say, I haven't worn a jacket for both the journey to and from work and not taken it off yet. So oh, that's true. Yeah, we need to know, hit I, that point. I think it's a little bit early for that. Cool. I shall I shall so, refrain on that one then, maybe for the next time round that I get to choose. Yeah, I think it's your namesake's time to shine. All right. So, yeah, we will be watching High Fidelity then. Yeah, cool. That's a good one. Especially as I've also read the book. Have you? Yes, as have I. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So we can talk about adaptations and stuff. Although it's been a while, but I used to really love the book. But I wonder approaching it very, very differently now, now that, you know, we, I think, are culturally very, very different and film and books have moved on. Yeah, it'll be an interesting an interesting one to do. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Alrighty. Well, I don't have any other more business, do you? I do not. No, that's everything from me. Cool. Well, in that case, all that remains is for us to say, thank you so much for listening. We really, really do appreciate it. Hope you enjoyed it and that you enjoyed this week's film. Um we are on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can always email us at bigboysdon'tcrypodcast at gmail dot com. Love to hear from you. Love to get your feedback. And do leave us ratings and reviews on all pod podcatchers, as they call them, as they help us to climb the charts and eventually get that sweet, sweet sponsorship dollar. And, you know, we do, we've do we managed to go 70 episodes now without having a single ad. I mean, we've plugged 
a whole bunch of bollocks, including our own film <laughs> ideas. But but we ha- we managed to go that whole time without having a whole ad. So I hope you do appreciate that because if you listen to some mainstream podcasts, bloody hell, so many ads. Yeah, you, you get the ad at the beginning, ad in the middle, ad at the end, just before the end, and then boom, ad boom, at the boom. end. <laughs> that was an excellent recreation there. Yeah, that's where I'm going to drop the ad right there, like in the middle of the chat. You find that it does that on some podcasts as well? Like, yeah, I've seen that before. It's yeah. um, it's it's frustrating, I think. Yeah, naming no names, New Statesman podcast. <laughs> More like poo statesman. <laughs> More like what an absolute statesman. <laughs> what an absolute state we are in. <laughs> oh, it's actually one of my favourite podcasts. It's very good. Oh, excellent stuff! I've not I've not listened to it. I mainly listen to to horror stories yeah. and and stuff like that. No. <laughs> in terms of my no, if you're um, left leaning in your politics and you want relatively sensible and well thought out takes, New Statesman podcast is good for that. Are there are there any people that are going to get angry that that um, that to all the boys I loved before isn't an entirely Asian cast are on it though? Possibly, yeah. <laughs> No, not 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 at all. <laughs> cool. Uh, I thought you were going to say there's going to be people who are angry because Steve Bannon wasn't allowed to be in to all the boys I've loved before. That this is <laughs> no no platforming and it's an- anti free speech. It stuff. is anti free speech that Milo Yiannopoulos was not playing the lead <laughs> into all the boys I loved before. He would love that way too just, much. Just just writing letters, which is just the word "cuck" written over and over again. <laughs> And then crying about how he's the real victim because he yeah. got banned from Twitter. Exactly. Yep. So, yeah. <laughs> On that note, him and Steve Bannon can get in the bin. And that's all I have to say about them. <laughs> Quite right, too. <laughs> all right. We'll be back next week to talk high fidelity. Alrighty. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.